Fontop Brewery, The Passenger. This one's a revival. I could have done with this Sounds good. Oh. Hey, Flucker fans. Hey, Flucker fans. Here we go. Cheers. John. John, Hello, welcome back. back. I know. Seems ages since we last saw you. When is it? Mm. Mm. Hang on a minute. Oh, that's a... What's that one? What's yours? More Beer Company. Yeah. Revival. Pale Bitter. That's Very nice. refreshing. Oh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, how are we doing, Flucker fans? We're back again. Mm. So, uh, back with our, uh, our new sponsor, Blue Line Tactical. Yeah, blooming great, aren't they? Police apparel, hoodies. Let me look at you again. That one's it's a bit tight. It's a little bit tight, but I've put a bit of timber on during the um, during the lockdown. Mm. But sometimes I've lost four kilos in the last uh, well, just under two weeks. Quite good. I'm on my little spinning bike. I'm doing forty kilometres a day. That's fantastic. This time next week, I'll be in Scotland. Mm. <laughs> Have you set yourself a target of where you're biking to? Well, I saw some challenge online. I think it's on that face page or whatever they call it, and uh, to cycle two hundred miles in um, August or September. Right. And I thought I'll do that in a week. Yeah. Back in the day, I'd have done that in just um, just over a couple day. of days. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I'm getting fit, lean and trim for my big time holiday that I've now booked. And wedding. Trying to book. Mm. I might give up trying to book weddings. Yeah. John, I booked a wedding last year and it all went wrong. It all went wrong, did it? Yeah, mm. on account of good old COVID. Mm. It was all going to be lovely. Uh, and unfortunately, it was all cancelled. Oh, dear. So, uh, I was looking forward to that. So, the tender age of 22, I'm now going to uh, give it another go. <laughs> Excuse me. You're, you're, not, you're not looking so good for 22. Oh, thank you, John. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, it's been a You're long a little, day. A little bit grey hair. Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, I've been pretty well on my own all day today, down the yard. Working You've done all the work, haven't you? Oh, well, I have. Well, yeah. no, but Bushy was there. He was, uh, he was, he was doing, he, he was doing it for some work. Yes, yeah. yeah. I've been off gallivanting. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Blue Line Tactical. Police clothing apparel. Mm-hmm. Get on there. Discount code. What's the discount code? Fluckers 10. Fluckers 10. It's Get nice to know they appreciate the fluckers. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, yeah. Well, they knew who you were. Or we were, didn't they? When you contacted, did they contact you? They did contact me. Did they? You didn't go out with a begging bowl saying, "Please, please, please, can you help us?" No, I think I saw something on uh, Instagram and messaged them and said, "We'll give you a shout out." And then they messaged back and said, "That'd be brilliant." They'd heard of us, yeah. knew who we were, huh? and um, it's great being famous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I'm famous. You've always been fairly famous, certainly locally. Well, I can't say that. And we've got to give a shout out to um, a couple of our London uh, colleagues. Ooh. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So, uh, what was his name? Well, we've got Rick O'Shea. Yeah, Rick. Rick O'Shea. Yeah, On firearms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not allowed a firearm, is no, he? No, not with a name like that. Rick And Mike Hotel, BTP. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, big shout out to all of them. Yeah, John, you good? Yeah. Good. Anyway. We're back with John. We're back with John. Yeah, hello there. We so, did enjoy. Uh, we did enjoy the podcast with you uh, a few days ago. That was great. I'm, I'm pleased you enjoyed it. And yes. uh, I think it was. But most of you've come back for two things. Obviously, your um, your witty repartee, but also the fact that uh, is it your young lady that makes this lemon drizzle cake? Yes, she does. Beautiful. She's a very good I, I, lemon I, drizzle I, cake. I maker. think. I think she'd be very pleased you call her a young lady. Well, that. Can we make this as like a, a weekly event? Would that be okay with you? Because, I can, uh, I can, when, when, we, when we're finished here, uh, you can have some more lemon drizzle cake. Oh, it's great. So well, well, I do. Deep as dark as Lincoln. Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Lincolnshire lemon drizzle cake. Yeah. It's, it's, Can't beat it. With, with a genuine Lincolnshire lemons. 
locally grown. Locally grown, yeah. And it does, does go very well with this delicious Pontop Brewery passenger beer. Oh, it's got mm. an interesting taste to it. Try a little bit of that. I don't mind you slobbering all over it. No, you've, you've been near the Covid people. Oh, I haven't. I? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not well, precisely. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, well, it's not worth the risk, is it? You know, I'm you working Covid yet. Uh, yes and no. Oh. The answer is well, I thought I had, but I haven't. Well, you, oh, probably, right. you probably have. I, I, man- I managed to get a, a tickly cough for about six hours, but it was after the first injection. Uh, uh, right. But after the second injection, I didn't even know I'd had the second injection. All oh, right. Mm. Yeah. Um, and my, my wife also wasn't very well at all after the first injection, but again, nothing after the second injection. Mm. She never knew she had the second one either. So oh. it, it, some people it does affect, some it doesn't affect at all. Mm. Very good. Anyway, so. We're going to have a chat with you because you did 32 years in Lincolnshire Police. You're just going to tell us, you've got a couple of little things you wanted to share with us about when you was a PC and then you're going to tell us about what happened after your policing career. Okay. Um, well, after your home office policing it, career because it sort of continued a bit. Policing, and with the foreign office and the home office mm, and various yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. If I can remember all them. Then they're nearer to the present date, so I can't remember that well. But yeah, <laughs> a little bit tells me that um, you know you arrested this chap for bigamy. Yes. But you're no stranger to getting married, are you? No, no, no. no. I, I, I found that if marriage is good, you should do it three times. Right. <laughs> because if it's good, keep enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. Why not? If no. it works. It, Works three times. Mm. There we are. There we are. Not for everybody. No. In fact, my second marriage, I was recruited by the recruiting office of the Lincolnshire Police. Oh, right. She recruited me for my second marriage. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My staff did warn me. Oh, really? So they were trying to recruit me. Well, there we are. (laughs) (laughs) We'll give it a go. I think that would be another podcast. (laughs) Yeah, very complicated. Very complicated indeed. Murder. Let's talk about murder. Ooh, yeah, murder. Yeah, yeah, everybody likes a good murder. Yeah, good murder. Yeah. yeah. We we had a, it's not a good murder, but this guy broke into a, a, a flat in um, Spring Hill, I think it's called, in Lincoln, and he, he strangled the lady he found in there, but he didn't expect to find her in there. But he stole things. Mm. Now, being a very intelligent person, um, he then disposed of things. And I, I was down at the south end of the city and checked my second-hand shop and said to them, have you seen a television like this? And they said, oh yeah, he brought, this guy brought it in yesterday. I said, okay, do you know who he is? Oh yeah, he's a regular. So we just waited for him to come back and we arrested the murderer. Wow, uh, it actually, that's like heartbeat it policing, isn't it? heartbeat policing. Yeah. He actually stole a television from the house, having strangled his poor lass. Was this shop called Cash Converters? <laughs> that was, it was before Cash Converters, but I'm sure, that, I'm sure they have some exciting times too. Yeah, it was, a, it was of that sort of style. It's that yeah. sort of yeah. style. Yeah. But yeah, this guy said, oh yeah, this, this television, he came in yesterday with it. So, so, have you got it? Yeah, it's in the back. Who brought it in? Oh, I know him, he comes in regularly, he's called. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow. So I radioed in and said, uh, the person you're looking for is so-and-so and he's brought the television in here. Clearly, <laughs> you were very well suited to CID. <laughs> yeah, must have been, must yeah. have. So we did, we did crack that one. We've had some cracking arrests, haven't you, really? Oh, if we're talking yeah, about the, the armed bank robber, yeah. murderers, I've only had one arrest. What about, an axe, what about the axe man? Yeah. Would you like to ask, yeah, on, when yeah. I was in Skegness, I was went to I got the PC in the vehicle. It's, it's kind of early in the morning, about two o'clock, and we got a report of somebody trying to break a door down. When we got there, he was trying to break the door down with an axe to get to his girlfriend. 
So we arrested him. We thought that was a reasonable thing to do. Mm. Put did, him in did the he van. Get frisky at all? No, he was fine with us. He, he kind of handed over his axe and got in the back of the van. Mm. And then at the same time, I got a call that the PC was having problems on Lumley Road near the clock tower. Bearing in mind, there's only about three PCs on duty, and there was only me on duty. I think so. We went down the road, and there he was having trouble with about five or six drunks, really. Um, so we turned around, well, I turned around to this guy in the back and says, stay there and don't move. We left him in the back with his axe, went out, sorted the patch out, got back in the van and took him into the police station. And he just stayed there in the back with his axe. Now, I think there might have been problems had he run off. We may have had a few disciplinary issues had he gone. Well, just a few, yeah. yeah. But I, tell, I told you, I've never been, never been assaulted in my career for 32 years. Yeah. Just persuade people with an axe to stay in the van. Leave them to it, and they're still there when you come back. Yeah. That's the way to do it. I have to mention, actually, <laughs> when uh, a, a good friend of ours who's still a serving sergeant in Knott's Police, he spoke to me today. No, he's in Devon and Cornwall, isn't he? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's well, they're easily confused. They're very, they're very similar. Yeah, places. that's yeah. right. Yeah, he moves around a bit. Yeah. Uh, and um, he was kicked in the head two years ago by an offender. And he's, he's, he's not shy in coming forward, is he? No. Umberto. No. So he does get himself involved in, you know, a few scrapes. But unlike you, he hasn't quite got your, your repartee. Just talk, talk yourself out yeah, of trouble. Yeah, that's mm. right. So, uh, unfortunately, this did result in him getting kicked in the head. But, uh-huh. but he went to, to court and the person was found guilty of assaulting uh, this fine officer. And he was fined 200 coins of the realm. And um, so now, Two years later, is it two years later? Yeah. Two years later, uh, this officer spoke to me today and he said, do you know how much I've had so far? And he showed me the uh, the transfer into his bank account. 46 pence. 46 pence. <laughs> That's the 200 pounds from two, from two years ago. <laughs> from two yeah. years ago. 46 pence. Um, That's incredible, isn't it? So, unfortunately, there's not a lot of action when it comes to compensation, even if you do get assaulted. And I remember a couple of times... Um, uh, when I've received compensation, not that many times over the years, but a couple of times, um, that the collection of the money was so woefully fl- slow that after a, a couple of years, I'd just get an email saying, yeah, we're not bothering to yeah. try and collect it anymore. We've failed. we failed, yeah. The whole system's dumbed down to the point that if you choose not to pay, then we'll not chase you. Yeah. yeah. I remember getting 50p a month off a woman who, uh, who smacked me in the face. Really? Yeah. Uh, and was this your wife? <laughs> well, <my> wife, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, I think, around the face on I think, numerous occasions. I think the financial attraction actually transaction goes the other way. She slaps me around the face and I get to pay her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Fifty yeah. a month. What did you do with that fifty? Do you have any plans for it? <laughs> oh, yeah. He bought under the half you a can of beer. Yeah. Business. Oh yeah. Uh, he bought a half a can of beer. Didn't yeah. You? We can't believe the court court would agree. To, yeah. Just give him fifty a month then. I think it was awarded like sixty or eighty pounds or something like that. Yeah, 50 per month. Crazy, isn't Fantastic. it? Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's easy payments, though. It's probably interest-free payments as well. Yeah. See, it's all right as long as the police don't have to pay compensation. Because we went to a house, you know, Victorian houses in Lincolnshire, and, and they're built very, very poorly, really. They're old houses. They're, the windows are not put in like a modern window. Mm-hmm. The windows are just literally put in with the same water. Yeah, yeah, same water as they use for the bricks, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I went there with a, a, a PC who was a big guy. When I say big, I mean he was big in tall. He was about six foot six. And he was big in shoulders and weight. And this guy wouldn't come out. Uh, so he, he hit the door with his shoulder. And there was a lot of dust 
came out of the, the actual brickwork around the door. Oh. And he, we shouted to this guy to let us in and he wouldn't. So he hit the door the second time and the front window just gently just fell out oh next to us. Well, we didn't have to pay compensation and he gave up then and let us in. But he'd actually put a bar across the back of this door to stop us getting in because he was dealing with drugs. Oh. Um, so he didn't want us to get in. But the front window literally just fell, fell out in slow motion. Fantastic. Crashed out. <laughs> So, but we didn't have to pay compensation, so they are, why should you get compensation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never got any. Mind you, this same PC, who was a big guy, we went one evening on a, we had a TPU, as we used to call them in them days, a team policing unit out on Saturday nights for trouble. Went to a, a, an Irish pub, a typical Irish pub, and they were all kind of shouting and arguing, and I went then to the door, and I was the sergeant at the time. And they, they weren't going to move and they weren't going to come out. I said, OK, I'll get Steve. Went back to the van and got the same person, Steve. Man, done man he stood in the doorway and they took one look at him. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And they all left. <laughs> oh, no. It's very handy occasionally yeah, to have a PC yeah. that's big yeah. and strong. You know, like people like Jeff Capes, who was a police officer, wasn't he? Oh, that's true. Do you remember yeah, Jeff the, Capes? The was a enormous shopbutter, yeah. Enormous shopbutter, yeah. yeah. He, he, he was an ex-policeman and we ran a drugs campaign you know, to a drugs hotline campaign. And we, we persuaded him to come up to launch the drugs campaign. Right. All he wanted was about three and a half pound of steak for, to eat. And then afterwards, just for the press, he lifted the back of a police car up. <laughs> he just lifted it up, you know, his police car. But he was the ex-policeman, so he, he was happy to help out. Same as we'd all be happy to help out, wouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. Ray Reardon's another ex-police officer, isn't he? Is he? Yeah, Ray Reardon is, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was an ex-police officer. I don't know how long he was in, but he came to um, the sports club at Lincoln and played played yeah. the evening in a snooker yeah. for, for charity. We were raising money for charity, and he came and played. The, the superintendent at the time actually beat him in one frame. Wow. Really? But we always think we always think yeah, that Ray Reardon took it easy because yeah. he, he was the superintendent. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he came and gave us a, a, a demonstration night. And there were two ex-policemen who both came back, yeah. you know? Hey, John, I'll tell you what I was going to ask you when you were talking about your career. Um, before we go on to talking about what happened post your police career, okay. uh, can you tell us about females in policing? Because we've got a lot of female uh, flock of fans, and it's always interesting to see the, how uh, the dynamics around females in policing has changed over the years and become a lot more inclusive. Before, you know, they were looking after, you know, answering the radios and looking after missing children and stuff like that, weren't they? So they, so they say. So how, do you, how did you see it changing over the years? For the for the for the better, did you think they brought a different type of talent to the organisation, or did you think they weren't suited for the, the, the policing job? Well, in case they shoot me, they're, they're suited to the policing job. Otherwise, I'll find out who I am and I'll die. But <laughs> when I joined, there was a police women's department. I mean, it was a separate department, and as a PC, even as a sergeant, you really knew nothing much about the police women's department. They had their own office somewhere in the building. They dealt with. Uh, women and women assault problems and children and nothing else. There was no female officers whatsoever on the shift. So I had 24 officers uh, on a shift, for example, in Lincoln. When I first joined, there wasn't a, a police woman. There wasn't uh, any females at all on the shifts. They weren't on shifts. They didn't do shifts. They had a department that worked, I think, nine to five. They may obviously have worked in the evenings dealing with things, but they didn't work shifts. They weren't part of any shift unit. They weren't part of a unit. Oh, I assumed that they would be on shift right from the word go. So no. When did, when did that start to change? My guess would be this changed quite early on in my career. So I would think in the early 70s it started to change. Okay. Um, 
I can remember, but I can't remember the date when they first put two policewomen out in a patrol car. Um, and that was certainly in the 70s. And what was the general sort of feeling of the, of the shift and the staff at that time? As the control room sergeant, which I did for a while, I was not happy having police women out on the streets yeah. at that time. I always felt that you had to put a police man with them and you was always a bit nervous of where you sent police women to. Okay. That changed over the years because there's a lot of very capable police women out yeah, there. Absolutely. But we had to change our mindsets, my mindsets. It didn't seem right to send women out on beats because when I joined, they weren't out on beats. They weren't part of any shifts at all. Mm. And that's that's completely extent, changed now. That may well have been also part of that, the fact that the equipment that you had at the time was so limited for defending yourself. Absolutely, yeah. They couldn't have defended themselves. Um, I have over the years found that a lot of police women who have been out on beats are very, very good at talking themselves out of trouble. Mm. Um, and a lot of them tended to get respect as a woman because they were a woman as opposed mm. to being a police officer. Mm. Um, so somebody who might argue and fall out and fight a policeman might not do that with a woman. Mm. Uh, there was a kind of a, a class thing about not attacking a woman because she was a woman rather than yeah. she was a policeman yeah. or a policewoman. I think those days have slightly changed now, haven't they? The I, res think the respect for, I think the respect for has completely changed and gone now. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I've mentioned before on the podcast that I've been double crewed with females and certainly been in situations where had it been two, two male officers, it would have ended in a scrap. Differently. Yeah, differently. Yeah. yeah, so that they, you know, they, they bring a lot of talent and a lot of different dynamic to, of course to they do. policing yeah. scenarios, they do. don't they? So, yeah, yeah. I've, I've worked with some, you know, super talented female cops and I've worked with some super rubbish ones, but I've worked with some super talented male cops and some yeah. super rubbish ones. Yeah, so. and, and I've certainly had um, people above me in rank who have been the boss, who have been women and they've been brilliant. Yeah. You know, the head of um, personnel, for example, um, the chief inspector at Skegness when I was inspector was a woman and they've all been brilliant, mm. they've been fine. But going back to the beginning, if you go back to when I first started, yeah. um, police women didn't exist as far as we were concerned, the rest of the group no. were concerned. They weren't part of a team, they weren't part of us, they were a completely separate unit. They might just as well have had some other uniform as far as we, we knew at that time, which didn't deal with yeah. them or have anything to do with them. So when they were sort of you know, filtering in and being brought into the to the shift and in, into your fold, if you like, did you know? Did did that that theme of or, or that that mindset of we didn't think they existed really? Did that was there some resistance to accepting them? I would think yes, there was. Right. I would think that it'd be fair to say there was some resistance to accepting them, and and even in in at the time it was really happening when I was probably the control room sergeant in Lincoln, I was nervous about using police women if I could get a police man there and, and that was yeah. that's unfair but it was it's true it was the psyche of I don't want to really send a woman in there or a girl in there because they were young girls yeah a lot of them weren't in fact do you think of them like that but but you know but you, that was you, a sign you, of the time but you're looking at it yes you're right and you say well and that's wrong to think that but mm. you're judging it from today's societal societal view of of how women are perceived in policing as opposed to actually what the view was like back then so it was totally different back yes then. and the generation before you would have had a different yeah. view wouldn't it? Yeah. you know in a, a, a more temperate they probably would yeah they probably would have so it's easy to sit here and say yeah. well we, we were wrong back then well yes because you're looking at it from with today's yeah. perspective aren't you but but just interesting because like i said we have a lot of female listeners and mm. um so what at what point 
do you think then, not, not particularly in your career, but in, in around the year, do you think that actually we realise that police, women, women in policing is, is when, when they're more inclusive in policing is, is better? Can you remember when that was? When It would probably be in the early 80s, I would guess, right, okay. in my, my experience, because in the early 80s, when I was kind of a, at Skegness as an inspector, I did not by then see a problem with having police women yeah. in Skegness on the streets, as it were, as well as PC males on the streets. Yeah. Um, and no, and because it then got even more complicated because they stopped calling them police women, didn't they? They're just police officers. And they're just police officers. Yeah, that's so right. That yeah. got more complicated then. So you don't actually know unless you know the individuals. Mm-hmm. You just send a police officer. And that's when it really turns around. That was one of the few things the police service probably did well was to change it from PC peace woman to police officer. Yeah, that was a, probably a good turning point because it meant you're then treating everybody the same. Yeah, yeah. good. Which has mm. got to be a good. Thing. Yeah, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, mm. and they can they can look after themselves and they do look after themselves. But there was a certain turnover time from my kind of start of my career when you're seeing that as a kind of a stretch and pulling and against your real gut feelings that whether they ought to be doing this or putting them in no risk. Mm. Did you have many officers that identified as a different sex or were gender neutral or were male, well, like visually male, but identified as female officers? Did you have a lot of that going on? No. I <laughs> <laughs> I, I struggle. I struggle to think of any. I mean, I, I, rem- <laughs> I remember two policemen who went on a canal trip, and there's somebody, obviously a male, flashed to them on the bridge, really? and they immediately took their tops off, and he, he ran and fled to safety because <laughs> they took the tops off, things like this. So those two, I'm not sure why they were together on the canal boat. Uh, I don't know. But no, there's not, there's not really... Any openly gay officers? There were some openly gay officers in Lincoln City when I first joined. But oh, that's he, interesting. Yeah, I'm surprised by that. There was there was one in particular, um, I can think of, who was obviously gay. Yeah. But I'm not sure whether he retired or why he left, but he, he seemed to disappear after I'd been in the sheriff's job only about six months. Oh, right. But I don't think it was to do with that. I think he probably was at that age, but he, he was openly gay. Right. Um, well, it's quite refreshing, actually, yeah. that even back in the day... Yeah, he was. He, he, he was obviously gay, but you know, not a problem. It didn't matter. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was no issue to anybody, as far as I know, on their shift. They all knew him, and that was it. He was openly gay. And it, it's, it's just... At the end of the day, you think about these things and things, things, attitudes have changed. Mm. But having changed attitudes, um, it doesn't change the situation as to where people were at the time, does it? Mm. Uh, of course. And, and a lot of the time, you don't really know, mm. to be honest. Yeah. Did you have a story you mentioned earlier about, was it a mental hospital? Oh, yeah, well, in the, in, we had. At Bracebridge Heath, there was, there was a mental hospital. It was a big, big mental hospital, St John's Hospital. Um, and it caused, it caused quite a few things because it, it came to be part of my patch for a while as a oh. PC. Um, and I, it was, Luckily, it's before mobile phones and all this kind of thing. Because I went up um, near the common and on the south common, there was this lady dancing on the common at about, I suppose, in the evening, probably about eight in the evening, but it was winter. And I'm thinking, that's a bit odd. So I went across to her and she wanted to dance. So realising where she must have come from, we danced on the common in uniform all the way back to my panda car 
So it was in Pandekar days, and we got back, I got in the Pandekar and took her back to St John's Hospital to the dance. And when I got there, they said, we didn't even know she was out. I said, well, she obviously was, because we were dancing on the common together. But luckily, nobody filmed us. <laughs> nobody filmed it. Uh, and then there's another thing that happened there, is there's somebody, when I was in CID, somebody stole a ring, and it was apparently it was a valuable ring, from a patient. And it was thought it was stolen by another patient. Why they can manage to do that in a hospital, I have no idea. So I went up there to investigate this, and this young girl who was probably, a, I don't know, about 18 to 20, something like that, she wanted to get married. So by the time I'd spoken to her, she had agreed she'd taken the ring because she wanted to get married. So I said, well, can you give the lady the ring back? Only if I get married. So I said, well, where is the ring then? Anyway, in the end, I had to agree to marry her. That so was the marriage I was referring to. That's the to marriage you were referring yeah. to. Yeah, that, that's another one of my marriages. That's my fourth marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we danced uh, all the way out into Do you remember the, what you danced to? I do not remember. No. Probably, probably, you know, a, a marriage thing. Yeah. What marriage would you like me to dance to? <laughs> anyway, we danced. Well, I don't think there was any music. We didn't actually have a music. <laughs> we, we danced out to this tree in the park area where she bent down and scrabbled amongst the soil around this tree and believe it or not, she found the ring where she'd put it near the tree. Wow. So I put the ring on the thing and married her and took her back again and then went home. Probably legally binding, aren't they? It's, I, I probably was a common law Did you marriage. end up having to give her half your house or something? <laughs> well, luckily she wouldn't remember, would she? <laughs> but my oh, wife says, you can't have got married again. <laughs> Fantastic. But it, it, it detected crime, didn't it? Yeah. But it never went down to crime, of course, because it was in, in the hospital. So, but the lady got her ring back. She was happy. The other lady was happy because she'd just got married. So, and I was happy because I could go home and explain I just got married yeah. and leave your fourth wife. Somewhere <laughs> yeah, that's it. Leave fourth wife. Do you know when you'd done uh, sort of twenty-five, getting on towards thirty years? Did you did you have any plans of how your life was going to pan out when you no. left the force? No, I because I'd done the 32 years and I'd given the chief constable two years in training that I promised him I would as, as head of training. Um, I went I went to work on a Friday night and I'm thinking, I think I'm ready to retire now. So I went in on Monday morning, I went to the admin department, so I'll, I'll, I'll give him a notice and I'm going to retire. And this was about, it was, it was in December anyway. And they said, well, okay. I said, well, when can what I actually was this, leave? This is, this is 90, it's 98 we're yeah. talking December 98 so they said to me in December 98 well you can finish on Friday if you like because you've got all the leave still all Christmas leave you haven't had a long leave so I had to go back to my department on Monday morning I mean spoken to the admin department and say I've just retired and I'm finishing on Friday at lunchtime <laughs> and, and it was which was the 16th of, of December the official finish date is something like the 3rd of January mm -hmm. but that was that was because I, I'd got a plenty of leave, you see. So we, we had a, a leaving due for me. Yes. Uh, Organised at a crazy short notice by somebody in the department very nicely. And the ACC came and gave his little speech as they do, don't they? But the Chief Constable, who um, had been there for about two years at this time, I think, and I was head of his training department, had never, ever spoken to me. So I got a message down on Tuesday morning saying, would you like to come up and get your certificate of service, you see? So I said, no. So they said, so the lady up there, who I know very well, she'd been, she'd been more than one chief constable, she'd been <coughs> a secretary for, 
I said, no. I said, he's never even bothered to speak to me and he's been here about two years and I'm out of his training. Oh, okay. She said, I understand. And she, came, she came down to in the afternoon and presented the certificate to me. I never did see the chief constable. Oh, but I thought, if I'm out of his training department, he can't bother to speak to me for 18 months or whatever it was. Okay. I can't be bothered to go up there and receive from him a certificate yeah, of yeah. service. I don't want one from him. So she came down and presented me a certificate. That probably meant a lot more. Well, it meant a lot more. Yeah. So I've known her for years. Yeah. She's been there for a long time. Hmm. How over the years? So having yeah. that, well, just just to, just to finish that a little bit. Yeah. That was a, sh- a quick go out, wasn't it? Now at about the same time, at the same time, um, the foreign office had been asking chief constables if they'd release their head of training, stroke somebody with a lot of training experience, manager, to go and work in Albania of all countries, and they'd all said no. Because there's only one head of training in every force, in the all 43 forces there was, I think it was. Yeah. And who's going to want to lose that? And they don't want to lose that person. Mm. Um, and no chief constable would release one. Um, so this was, I finished on January, well, December. And about the end of January, I got a phone call from one of my ex-colleagues, friends in the personnel department, says, do you know, we're Albania, what do you know about Albania? I said, virtually nothing. Same with anybody else. Well, why? They said, well, if you ring this number, and he gave me a number at the Foreign Office, he says, ring them, he says, he says, they've got a job that will suit you. I says, what, in Albania? <laughs> so I rang this number, right. and they asked me a few questions. They told me to go down for an interview. Right. So I went down for an interview. Um, the job itself was to set up training for the Albanian police. They had no training, the Albanian Prior police. Prior to this uh, meeting, had you discussed this with your young lady? That, uh... <sighs> This was brewing, or did you just pop it, off for a beer to the it, pub or something? It, it, it didn't quite brew because it all happened in about three days. Really? Yeah, it wow. all happened very, very quickly. Yeah. This phone call followed by a phone call followed by, can you come down on Friday type of thing to the foreign office? Saturday morning, you're on a plane. Saturday morning, no, not quite. <laughs> a little bit more complicated than that because the the war, the Balkans war, wasn't quite finished. Oh. We were still having problems with the Balkans war. It was only just about ending at that yeah, stage, yeah. so it hadn't. It, it was still problems. Um, so I went down to the Foreign Office and this man met me at the Foreign Office. And in the lift going up, I'm thinking, he was chatting, I'm thinking, I've got this job and I had an interview, yeah? Yeah. You could tell, it just, it just yeah. seemed odd. Yeah. So I had this interview and I was obviously the only person they'd got. <laughs> so I got the job. They hadn't got anybody else who was who had been head of training, who had got management skills and was still so new out of the police service, he was still part of it really, wasn't he? Mm. So it was just timing. So I'm not proud to say I got the job. I just got the job because I was in the right place at the right time. Well, you probably understand yeah. that. No, no, it's true. Anybody in the same position would have got it, but there was no competition. There was nobody else for the job. Nobody else had applied for the job. Was there any discussion about uh, what you're going to get paid for this role? Was there any negotiation at all? No. Oh. no. Was there a contract? Is it, it was, how it, you're going it for? Was, it, was a, it was a contract, a rolling yearly contract. Right, but right. We, ex- we expected it to last two years, and it did, actually. Um, the OSCE, the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe, it wasn't theirs, it was a, an offset of theirs called MAPE mapping, which was a multi-agency unit, but there was different countries involved who weren't part of the OSCE. Um, so we couldn't go out because at the time it was impossible to go out because the, the, the Balkans war was not quite finished. So we couldn't go yet. And we, we kicked the reels until June. In the meantime, I got to be a fed up and thought, well, I'll apply for a job. So I applied for a job to run the air ambulance. All right, to, yeah. to be involved in the air ambulance. And I, 
I went for an interview at Woodall Spa. It's very posh. Very Woodall nice. Spa. Very nice. Look, I very went, nice. I went to Woodall Spa. 1940s weekend they do there. Yeah. Very good. They do. Yeah, brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, I still sort of hear it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you're talking to me or John? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born in 1943, but I don't remember it too well. No, well, yeah. And uh, so I, I, I went for an interview at Woodall Spa, and there was about four doctors there. And obviously they didn't want a doctor, they wanted somebody to manage the air ambulance. But one guy, I didn't get the job to go. So, so I did while you, what you can do, I asked him why I didn't get the job. And the reason I didn't get the job is they didn't think I could talk to all kinds of people. Oh really? I Not said, that you spent the last 32, 32 years, years doing that around the world? <laughs> they were worried I wouldn't be able to talk to all kinds of people. I thought, what kind of people do the air ambulance yes, yeah. talk to? Obviously. Supervisor talk to? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm pleased I didn't get it, because I probably would have pulled out of Albania, wouldn't yeah. I? What was it like in Albania? Very interesting. I went out to Albania and we flew out. I assume, did you go out on your own? Oh, yes, on, no, on your own. You, right. you couldn't get anybody out. You didn't out. live out. Too dangerous. Well, right, okay. Oh, yeah, really. too dangerous. So you went out there. How um, did your wife feel about well, that? Which wife, which wife was it? Yeah, which one was it? The second wife. Oh, it wasn't Lemon Drizzle. Not wife. me. No. Oh, my oh, God. Hey, hey, hey. We've got heckler. We've never had a heckler on this show before. <laughs> Very well heckled. Well, okay, yeah. Yes, not not my present wife. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> moving on the back. Moving swiftly along. Not not the not the lemon drizzle cake wife. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> well, she, it was rubbish wife number two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> rubbish wife yeah. number two. So no, you couldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't. Oh right. You couldn't. You, you, you went out on your own. So how often did you come back home then? Um, every three months. Right, you okay. went out for three months, came back for two weeks, and went out again. Right. Um, but when we got out there, we couldn't we couldn't land at first, so they diverted us to Corfu. Oh. So we all thought this is nice. We're going to have yeah. a holiday in Corfu now, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. But we didn't. They flew oh. us out later that day. Okay. Um, and you, do you remember the Blackwater helicopters, the mm. Americans? Yeah. The whole runway at Tirana was lined with them. Really? Because they had one either shot down or had an accident with it over Kosovo, so they never flew them again. In that, in that conflict, they just all right. They're all lined up. They just lined up in the other side of the Yeah. Mm. So I flew out there. There were six Brits went out. Um, not obviously people that you knew. No, I knew none of them. Right. But one I met was Mike, who had been a traffic sergeant in um, Yorkshire, and me and him kind of paired up for the two years and, and washed each other's back and looked after each other basically. And we lived together. We had a, a, a they called them villas, but. They were originally the sh- uh, Shell compound. Shell had built some places for their staff, but they'd all pulled out of Albania and then gone. Oh, so it wasn't too bad then, probably. Was the, it? the accommodation was fine. Yeah. The country was completely wrecked mm. because they'd had. Do you remember pyramid sales? Yeah. 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 Well, Al- Al- yeah, but Albania was the big pyramid sale, which all collapsed and everybody lost all the money. Oh. And as a result of that, they'd been kind of. I suppose you'd more or less call it an internal kind of war, really, between themselves. And they destroyed everything. They destroyed the oil fields. Um, when we went, when we saw the oil fields, there was the nodding donkeys all there, but the yeah. ground was saturated in oil because right. they destroyed they destroyed the steelworks. They destroyed cotton wool mills and things like that. They destroyed all their own infrastructure right. in this period, and nobody knows how many people died, but roughly they, they said at least three thousand may have been five or ten thousand but they don't really know um and when we went out there our role was to do whatever our posts were my post my role was to set up a training school but first of all we had to write the legislation so the first job was to find out what their law was 
I had a team of five who was studying or trying to find out what their law was, and I wrote a training package. That was my task. So that's, I, that's quite an enormous task. It, was an, it took three months. Uh, so I wrote the training package. I had two interpreters stayed in the villa with us, not at night, just stayed there to work. Yeah. I don't mean we, had, we borrowed two interpreters forever, but two ladies who were really good at it, and they would, as I did it and wrote the training package, they were converting it. So we finished up with a, a training package in Albania for their country. Yeah. And then we talked about, on the last time we met, we talked about police women, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, in Albania, they don't have such a thing. There's no such thing as a policewoman in Albania. If you want to be a policeman in Albania, you not only did you not have a, any training, but the guy you, who was head of training in Elbasan, for example, just picked his mates as a policeman. Oh, really? That's how it worked. So we got that changed, and, and we decided we were going to have, a, and they had, a, in fact, did go through with a television advert for police officers after I'd written all the training package. So they did all the advertising, and, and I was told. I, well, I said, I, what about police women? Because you haven't got any. Yeah. And they said, well, and after some discussion with a, their equivalent to Home Secretary, it wasn't called that in Albania, but he was their equivalent. And after some discussions with him, it was agreed I could have 10% women, yeah. which was a big step for them. Yeah, a big step. Massive. So then, then they did all this. And a lot of people applied, strangely enough, and they all had to take an exam to get into the police service, which I personally didn't write. Somebody else wrote that. Don't actually know who wrote it. Oh, right. Multiple choice. Mm. <laughs> Probably multiple choice. We're only A or B is the right answer. Yeah, that's it. But I don't actually know. I didn't have anything to do with that side of the recruiting. I don't know who did it. Nobody from Britain did that. So what was the uh, the quality of the applicants that were coming? Well, through? the quality of the applicants that came were very mixed. I think is the right word. But when the exam results came through, we had I think it was twenty two women in the top one hundred. Mm. Not the ten percent I was on. Yeah, and um, so I ignored Excellent. them, and took took the top one hundred. Yeah. Would give us twenty two, and and nobody ever came back. So either Albanian government cannot count. Yeah, they're not great mathematicians, or or they accepted it. Yeah, I don't know which. They never ever came back to me because I was expecting big problems. Um, I didn't get them. So we set a training school up. So I set the training school up. So we had different people from different countries turned up. I had uh, a guy from Estonia who came into my office, boots banged on the ground, saluted me and said, good afternoon, sir. I don't know why I'm here. I'm an army officer. I says, because you're here to be a trainer. He says, I'm not a trainer. I'm an army officer. I says, don't worry, you'll be a trainer. (laughs) I then sent him. Um, So we finished up with about six classes uh, in this training school with a European trainer and an Albanian trainer. So we were training their trainers. And I had a colonel, because their ranks were army ranks. Mm-hmm. I had a colonel who I was training to run the training school, which was starting from scratch. His name was Colonel Boozy. Wow. And he didn't drink. Oh. It's very worrying. Mm. And he, he wore a very smart <laughs> uniform as a colonel. Yeah. And we used to go out and examine the uh, troops, if you like to call them troops from his point of view, recruits from our point of view we used to go and examine them in the morning me dressed as a superintendent because i had a superintendent's role out there for two years mm. and him dressed as a colonel holding hands oh. and we used to walk along holding hands and check the recruits 
Now, I found that quite odd at first, yeah. Yeah. but I got used to it because you, you drop into their psyche. This yeah. is what they did. Well, unless everybody else was thinking, yeah. I wonder why they're holding hands. Well, no, because they all hold hands. Interesting, yeah. I didn't know that. The Arabs do as well, don't they? They do, yeah, the Arabs, the Arabs do. Yeah, they Nothing do. wrong with it. No, yeah. That's what the Albanians do. And this, this Colonel Boozy was yeah, very good. So was he, he didn't drink because he was a Muslim? I, he wasn't actually. Do you know that religion in Albania, you've got Muslims, you've got uh, Greek Orthodox, and you've got Christians, about one third each. Right. And they all ignore everything. They don't do anything about religion except take all the holidays. Uh-huh. My training school had to close for Barham, big Barham, for Christian days. <laughs> Eve, <laughs> quite a result. Eve, Ramadan. Eve, yeah. Ramadan. We, we closed for all. You were never closed. open. 50% no, of the year, yeah. we were shut. <laughs> we, we only ran five days a year. You were only three months, two days in which you worked. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, the religion... God knows how you got anything done. I know, I don't know. I'm surprised the Albanians aren't more organised, because they're brilliant organised crime, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're, that's where they put all their organisation. Well, that's all their effort goes into yeah. that. That's all it goes into that. But the training school worked, and we, we were there for two years. And at the end of it, we handed over to the Albanians to run their own training school, Carmel Boozy in charge of the training school, and Albanian trainers. Uh, but I did it in the old-fashioned way. I suppose you might look at me and think I am the old-fashioned way. But we had a chart on the wall every week, and we give them a weekly exam at the end, and each class got all their students marked and a bottom thing. So class six would be the best class that week, class four the next. So I made it into a big competition. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be able to do that now. It'd be bu- they call that bullying. bullying. Well, it, yes. it, it, it worked, but, yeah. it, but it was probably bullying. But it, it well, that was back in the day it when... It was character building. It, it was character building. Yeah. Well, of course, when you, went, you and I went to school, it would be but a case of if you had a sports day, you'd like to win. Yeah. And now, oh no, no, it's not about winning. No. Mm. But hey. Time's changed somehow. Yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, were they armed? The yes. Over there? Yeah. What, um, what were they armed They with? were armed with Kalashnikovs. Mm. Do they what, have is side- your routine... Did they have sidearms as well? No. No? They tended, so they go on patrol they, with they, a Kalashnikov? Well, those that went on patrol, I'm not sure what most of them did, to be honest. Oh. But they, they tended to... There was one, for example, outside of a bank, guarding a bank with a Kalashnikov. And I looked at it one day and I'm thinking, that's so rusty, if he fires that, he's dead. <laughs> it was yeah, a, yeah. A really, really rusty. And another occasion, me and Mike pulled up outside of a bank by mistake, just parked the vehicle and went down the street. And then when we got back, there was this man with this Kalashnikov, pretending to be a police officer, he probably was, uh, stood against our car. And another person came running across the road and wrestled him to the ground and told him off. And he obviously was CID, mm. because our car was on diplomatic plates. Oh, and he told this guy off because we, we could do what we like. Oh, could you do whatever you like? And did you? No, no. <laughs> not really. We, we were yeah. very, we were very good with that. You behaved yourself. But you, you might like to know how we got the vehicles. Oh, go on, then. go on, then. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You got them off drug dealers, probably. No, we got off trend. Off the organised crime. Yeah, no, that's, that's another story. Oh, right. <laughs> no, we got, we got, we got, we got five, six, six, yeah, six, six Land Rovers. African spec Land Rovers, right. no electronics virtually, and they they imported them. They came through from Italy. They came into the port at Duras, and they wouldn't let us have them. We had to pay an import duty, and um, the uh, ambassador, whose name, funny enough, was Mister English, which is very appropriate, wasn't it? Yeah. He said, "Go and get them. We're not paying it." So a team of us went over onto the ship and drove these Land Rovers off the ship. Two people kept the guards all busy talking while we drove these Land Rovers back to Tehran and straight into the police, into the compound of the embassy. We, we stole them off the ship 
after about four days, they sorted out the diplomatic side and we got out. All right, you, so you, you can go back to Albania I can, if you I want can to. go back. Yeah, I can go back because I've got the freedom of the city of Albania. Oh, nice. Well, Tirana. Yeah. Tirana. I've really? got the freedom of Tirana if I want to use it. I don't know how you're going to use it. I'm going to fly a flag down. You freedom. It's given by the president of Albania for the work in setting up their police service. Oh, fantastic. Setting up working. I mean, it's sometimes funny to me, but it's nice. No, yeah. it's yeah. Well, no, I think that's lovely. Well, in fact, when I left, they tried to present me with a Kalashnikov as a souvenir, and I pointed out you should not really proud of it. I wonder what that was under the table. Keep knocking my knee on it. over it. That's a chocolate Labrador. Yeah. It's the same you're supposed to be on. Yeah, they actually presented me with one, which I pointed out I could not possibly take. Can't take right. a Kalashnikov home on an aeroplane. You'd struggle to get it home, I suppose. Even back in those days. Even those days. Yeah. Having said that, I didn't want to travel back via Zurich, and you'd think that Swiss Air would be very good, but the person in front of me had a chicken with his head popping out of their rucksack. Really? Yeah, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happens all the time. We all do it. Oh, and one of the Swiss airplanes landed and got a puncture when it landed. There was only one flight a day, by the way, to Tirana. Right. This one got a puncture when it landed, so. Um, it couldn't carry passengers without changing the wheel, could it? Couldn't change the wheel in Albania, could you? Yeah. So all the people who were waiting for the flight was sent away again, and they flew the plane empty back to Zurich to change the wheel and came back from. <laughs> That's an expensive wheel. <laughs> no expense wheel, spared. <laughs> no expense spared. Yeah. We can't change the wheel. <laughs> so any other foreign trips? So okay. Albania, anywhere else? Right. I finished in Albania. We then, what happened after that, I came home at the end of it because the mission ended um, and I came home and I hadn't been home very long when I got a shout from uh, Mike who had worked with, he'd, he'd applied for a job in the OSCE direct and not, not the kind of map thing as it was, uh, and he, he went for an interview and he, he contacted me and said it's a good job, you want to apply for it but I didn't get it, I said well, why don't you get it Mike, he says because I didn't know enough about the OSCE. He says, I never researched the OSC, I, I did a bit of research about Macedonia. So I then applied for it and went down for an interview and it's these three people sat in the desk in the front office. And the, and the first question they asked is, what do you know about the OSC? Well, I've gone prepared now. Yeah, I can imagine you, yeah. I, can prepare. I know more about the... Yeah. Uh, OSC in Nethery. Yeah. So by the time we'd gone through about 15 minutes, the guy in the chair put his hand up, okay, okay, you know everything yeah, no, about the OSC, enough. enough's enough. I really Who told you? <laughs> I didn't really get any more questions after that. I just got the job. <laughs> okay, so yeah. what, what was that job? Well, then? what it was is they'd got, because the ethnic Albanians in Kosovo, and the Albanians, by the way, in Albania, don't like the ethnic Albanians in Kosovo. They don't like them very much. Um, they don't get on. They don't get on. Um, because there'd been a lot of killings in Macedonia, and the Macedonian... Macedonia is about 25% Albanians actually, but they don't have any power. Uh, they're kind of a really depressed out. Um, and there have been all these various valleys and various places they've been blowing people up and shooting people and all kinds of things. So my task when I got there was, that's a little bit, little bit of a deviation here. They flew me to the wrong country actually. The OSCE did that, but accidentally flew me to Kosovo. <laughs> <laughs> During your interview with the foreign officer, do you know much about the OSCE? Yeah, the shitty organisation. Yeah, that's right. Well, and crap at planning flights. Yeah. <laughs> they are very poor. Yeah, they actually flew me to the wrong country. When I got there, I had to find somebody to take me in a bloody vehicle from Kosovo back into Macedonia. <laughs> so it's just how things are. Yeah. Um, they, they were rubbish, that way. But then I had a, a, 
I had a, a mountain, six mountain villages upon the border of, of Kosovo and Macedonia. And my task really was to try and stop them fighting each other up there and peacekeeping up there. I had, I had a Macedonia interpreter and I had an Albanian interpreter because Macedonians and Albanians didn't talk to each other. So if you wanted to talk to a Kosovan you, uh, who was actually Albanian, he wouldn't talk to your Macedonian interpreter, even though they could speak both languages. And Doesn't sound like an easy job. To it, it was, it was, it was, it was complicated for a few weeks. But after that, I got rounded. I could see what's happening. But you just—they were got on well with each other. These two ladies who, who were my interpreters, and we, we had a Mitsubishi jeep type thing, and we used to go up into the mountain every day. We went up into these villages, and we got on really well. And I got to know all the people in the villages. But as soon as they found I'd been bearing in mind they're all Albanians, Kosovo Albanians. As soon as they found I'd been to Albania, they treated me as king. Because so you told them you've got freedom of Tirana? Yeah, right. I didn't tell them I'd got the freedom of Tirana, but they'd never met anybody else who'd been to Albania. Oh, Albanian royalty, yeah. really. They'd, no, they'd, they'd never met anybody else. You should have shown them your Klashnikov. Could you speak any of the lingo? I learned quite a bit of Albanian <laughs> at the time. Um, but when I went to Macedonia and lived in Skopje, I promptly forgot it all. Partly because I didn't want to accidentally speak Albanian in Skopje, which is in Macedonia. So I just shut up. I never learnt Macedonian at all. And I really just forgot all the Albanian, more or less. Mike, by the way, was quite good in Albania, uh, within Albania. But I just lost it, lost it really. Because you couldn't work in, the, in that mountain situation, in those kind of pressure, if you like, and use the wrong language at the wrong time, could you? So I just didn't. I spoke English only. Did you feel safe throughout your time there? Any moments when you didn't? There's a few times you felt things were a bit jittery. Yeah. Um, but did I feel safe? We, me and Mike, for example, went to when we was in Albania. We went in a club and we thought this is a bit odd. An Albanian so, club. Uh, an Albanian club. That was nice. But they call them clubs. Um, and this guy went out in a rage and we thought this is not good and he came back with his Kalashnikov oh. we went out the back quick yeah. um, we went to one place that was we'd never seen it before but it was really smart and we had an excellent meal and it was ever so cheap then when we went through to the bar there was two ladies of the night sat on these <laughs> stools so me and Mike looked at each other and fled out the back and got away <laughs> I think it was a I think it was a mafia run place oh, okay. we never went down that street again we kept well away from there <laughs> But there was only about four or five places, to be honest, in Toronto that was really fit to eat in. It was good. But in, in the mountains, in, in Macedonia, I always felt safe because it was with the Albanians and they knew I was from Albania. They loved you. I had more yeah. trouble trying to keep peace with the Macedonian police than I did with the Albanians. And I never had anybody killed in my t six months there. We managed to stop everything. I tried hard to get the railway back. They'd blown the railway up. I tried to get the railway back. Uh, I'm into railways and model railways, and I tried to get the railway back, but the lady who ran the uh, Macedonian railway just basically told lies. Mm. I just couldn't get any sense out of her at all. Mm. Never did get the railway back. I'm afraid I fell on that. Couldn't get the railway back. Waste of time. Yeah. But I have to go back tomorrow, won't I? Yeah. Didn't finish the job off. <laughs> we'll fly you out to Cyprus. Yeah. 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 Why not? Why not? Uh, but no, I never did get that back. But we had, we had, a, did have a plan. We had, um, there was. We, we had a radio, which we were a telephone, one of these phones that went to a satellite, which we weren't supposed to use because it cost us money. Uh, things went wrong. We were going to flee into the mountains and use it. Um, I was happy to flee in the mountains. I've done a lot of fell walking in the past. I'd have been happy to just go in the mountains and disappear, but that would find me later. Mm. What does your young man make of all of these? 
adventures that you're on. Did you talk about it much when you when you come home? Or I don't was it think a case so. of just on need to know basis? Yeah, need to know basis, yeah. really. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And how, how many years did, that, did it span for? So the Albania and Macedonia trips? So two years in Albania? Were, yeah, and, and just over six months in Macedonia. Right. Um, I could have gone longer. Give me another contract and I wouldn't take it because we were based in the actual capital, in Skopje. And then they moved the base to another place called Kamanabo, which was further from my mountain villages. Mm. Now, we weren't supposed to be up in the mountain villages after dark. Me to drive from where they posted us to, from where they moved the vehicles to, to get to the end of the villages and back again meant driving up there and driving straight back virtually in winter. Wow. It was sheet ice and mountains. And you couldn't do your job. You hadn't got time to talk to people. And I could have another six months money out of them, I suppose, but you couldn't do your job. You couldn't talk to people. You hadn't got time because right. of the rules they put in. So I gave up on that. Came home, um, worked for the Northern Ireland government, of all people, in Latvia. Went out to Latvia because uh, Latvia. This is never ending. Yeah. Well, I can end it if you, if you had enough. No, no, not at all. <laughs> all this because I joined the police service in 1967. Yeah. <laughs> but Latvia came into the EU in the days, you know, when Great Britain was yeah. part of the EU. Yeah. Back in those heady days. Well, when Latvia, we never wanted to be in the first place. No. We? Well, when Latvia came came into the EU, they wanted someone to go out and check if the Latvian police force and service was such was suitable for the EU. You were, you, yeah. you were the obvious and choice. They sent me out, yeah. so they sent me out there. Um, and I, I wasn't out there long. I did two weeks and two weeks on, two weeks off, probably for a period of about three to six months in total. Um, I don't think my report went down particularly well because I said they were better organised than the police service in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was no problem of, they weren't matter whether they were good enough for the EU they were better yeah. than us for example let me give you a simple example if you're going to be trained as a police officer and you're going to finish up as a senior police officer and you're going to be trained as a solicitor and you're going to finish up as a barrister wouldn't it be nice if you were all trained in the same place at the same time to the same rules yeah. they were in Latvia they were, there was no separate training for the police and the, and the judiciary they were all trained in the same unit together so they all sang off the same hymn sheet as Quite refreshing. and i could not see that um, anything we could do from british police service was going to improve the latvian police service um, so i wrote a i wrote a big management um, book for them and they they had a big management book for their management training but to be honest it was it was good writing and i was paid to do it but i don't think i needed it what were they looking for? Well, I don't think I needed it, to be honest. I, I couldn't find anything really wrong with them. So that was that was a last of mine. And so eventually, you were persuaded to retire completely? Yes, but there was a gap um, from 19, well, 2000, from 2002 through to October 2006. I was self-employed, oh training police. Oh, uh, I did that, self-employed. Well, um, my colleague here, he's involved in training police officers. I am, to a degree. Who are you working with, or yourself, direct? Uh, I do a bit for Derby University. Right. Because uh, they run the PCDA. I trained some uh, overseas uh, cops for Derby University. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, very what I did, I did, um, I worked quite a lot. I did, I went to Wrighton. Did yeah. some courses at Wrighton. Yeah, that's where I trained at Wrighton. I trained yeah. at Wrighton. Yeah. Did you? I, I trained at Panlash up in Harrogate. 
But Wrighton was interesting because I did, I did a course there and there was a, a lady there that had been there for two years and I joined her. She was a police sergeant from Leicester and the class was called, it was actually class one. And on day one, I said, class one, you've got to be class one. You've got to be the best class. And when it came to the final exam, it was the best class in the country on that exam. And it was the first yeah. time she had managed to get a first. So I was pleased with that. I was more pleased for her than I was for me as a trainer. Um, but uh, that went really well. So we did that. But a lot of the time, I worked actually for British Transport Police, right down at Rygate, which is excellent. You go around the M25 left or go down right, and there's about a mile difference between you and two. It didn't matter which way you went. It was a long way. But I worked a lot for British Transport Police. And I finished up doing a lot of their sexual offences training, strangely right. enough. And then when in October 2006, yep, October 2006, November 2006 time, I said, I'm not doing any more at the moment. I'm going to see if I'm happy enough giving in. Yeah. But they pestered me a lot for the next six months, really, because they've got nobody to do their sexual offences course. Right. It just seems really, really, I didn't go back. I never did go back. But I don't see why an organisation like British Transport Police wouldn't use their own trainers mm. to do what is a complicated and difficult area of sexual offences because yeah. you never know who you've got in your class when you start here. Yeah, exactly. You've always got issues, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they knew it was difficult. Mm. But I mean, we, we had some good times. We set up a, a, a rape scenario once um, at a station, uh, which was a terminus station at the end of the line. Being not not practical. It was like a practical, but we didn't do a rape. <laughs> uh, but no, it was like a practical and somebody had thrown a knife on the track and all the rest of it. But while we was doing all this, and with all the students all working away, me and the other lady that I was working with on this particular thing, a train pulls in the station, which I wasn't aware was going to come anyway, stops in the station, and it's obviously terminates there, and it's not going back for a while. And of course, the my students all go and search the train, don't they? And they find a guy asleep in there. And they think straight away that he's the one they should arrest. <laughs> so they get this guy who... who Anyway, when I spoke to him, he was a chef who tra <laughs> travelled on his train out of central London, had gone to sleep and missed his stop, which was about three stops before. He suddenly got bombarded with all these British transport police. He'd been nicked for rape. He'd been nicked for rape. <laughs> he was found guilty, he did three years. And they've come a stage where you're having to say, he's not actually yeah. part of this. For God's sake, leave him alone. Leave him, let him go. Yeah. Or oh, how long could you let that run for before you actually, you actually told the students? Oh, yeah, I, could, yeah. I could chat with you for hours. This has yeah. been absolutely fantastic. It's brilliant. I've so enjoyed it. Yeah. As long as you've enjoyed it. Oh, it's I, been fantastic. And our listeners will love it. I hope your listeners yeah. really enjoy it. They will. They will. Absolutely. Because they're well fed up with listening to you and I. But it's been difficult. Yeah, it has been difficult with all the COVID. COVID and restrictions and all that. been boring for the last four or five years. We apologise. <laughs> Profusely, I know you haven't been, haven't you? Oh, tell. <laughs> I've been. There's only so many negative. Yeah. so many negative stories I can tell. Yeah, that's true. I, on the other hand, I've been really very interesting and trying to keep the whole thing afloat. And I'm glad we have. And now we've met John. And yeah, it's I, been absolutely it's been great. These last yeah. couple of meetings with you. Well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed both meetings, and uh, I hope we can have another meeting one day in the future. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. We'll definitely get you on there. Yeah. You can well, think of some more stories. Well, well, I'll join the air force and come up with some of those. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go off to uh, Estonia or something like that again. Yeah, why not? Well, that's well, been brilliant. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. You're very good health, John. Yes, you're good health. Thank you very you much. Get that rest of that bottle finished this evening. Cheers, old boy. I will do my best. And, and uh, I suppose, reluctantly, 
We ought to fox trot Oscar. You want one big more shout, shout out for Blue Line Tactical? Blue Line Tactical. Hurrah! Yeah. Hurrah, for Blue Hurrah! Line. Thank you for our clothing. It's Don't lovely. forget the beer. Don't forget the beer. And the baseball hats and hoodies. Yeah, yeah. Because these onesies aren't going to last forever. We're getting a bit tight as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, anyway, pinching, pinching a bit. Remember, discount code Blue Line Tactical, Fluckers 10. And on that note, we are going to fox trot Oscar. Oscar.